our series is called Strong Meat, and uh, as I mentioned on Sunday, I realize it's probably not a good time to have pictures of steak and hamburger on the screens, but we'll survive. Uh, we're grateful for everybody that's participating in the Daniel Fast. Hebrews chapter 5 is our text for this series, and the writer of this scripture says, for when for the time you ought to be teachers, you should be old enough, mature enough, experienced enough to be teaching someone else, but instead... You have need that someone come along and teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God. You need somebody to come back and explain the basics to you again. You are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. And then he defines what he's talking about. It's not that milk is bad. It's that milk is a beginning. And if we only stay at the beginning, we never mature and we never grow. So he says, everyone that uses milk, there's nothing wrong with them if they're young. But if they've grown up for a while and they're still using only milk, they're unskillful in the word of righteousness. They're like a, a baby. But strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use, they've used this, they've experienced this, they've done this, they've disciplined themselves. By reason of use, they have their spiritual senses exercised to discern both good and evil. So he's making an important comparison here. And, and here's basically our uh, series in a nutshell. There comes a time in your Christian experience when you should be teaching others, not needing for someone to come along and teach you the basics over and over again. There comes a time when you should be a blessing to others, not needing other people to bless you and pray for you and minister to you over and over again just so you can stay motivated to serve God and survive. There comes a time, and, and this is our series, there comes a time when you need to trade in your milk, you need to kind of kiss the bottle goodbye, and, and you need some meat. That's our series in a nutshell. Now, I want to say it again. There's nothing wrong with a baby being a baby or a new convert being a new convert, but there comes a time when we need to grow up and just take responsibility for our own spiritual life. That moment comes. It may come at different times for different people, depending on their background and whether they've come in with no experience with the Bible or Christianity or church. So it could come at different points. But there does come a time when you need to take responsibility for yourself. And that's not me talking. That's the New Testament talking over and over again. It's everywhere. In fact, this is one of the key components of living a victorious Christian life. And at some point, you're not depending on somebody else to kind of pull you along or push you or motivate you. You've grown up and you've stood up and you're doing it yourself. Now, I felt led in looking at the beginning of the year to deal with four areas that Jesus dealt with in the middle chapter of what we call the Sermon on the Mount. That's Matthew 5, 6, 7. So we're in Matthew 6 for this series. And in Matthew 6, he gives us four expectations for disciples. He doesn't say, if you do these things. He says, when you do these things. He's expecting us to do these. And here's what they are. Jesus expects his disciples to do these four things. Now, there are many others we could name, but these four, Matthew 6, Jesus' words for this series. Jesus expects every disciple to serve, to pray, to fast, and to give. That's what he talks about in the center of the Sermon on the Mount. These four areas are critical to your spiritual growth. And I, I said this on Sunday, every time I hear of a Christian who's backslidden or struggling or failed, I can almost always look far enough and trace it back to one of these four habits being missing or absent in their life. If they're not praying, if they've never fasted, if they're not serving in their church, uh, if they don't give, if they're just kind of this little island to themselves, that happens. It's, it's just a train wreck 
happening in slow motion, waiting to be a disaster. And many times when that happens to them, it affects their family as well. And the destruction is just multiplied and multiplied. And it's amazing that so much devastation, so many wrong turns, so many mistakes and failures can happen in someone's life And you trace it back and it just started as a small omission of one of the habits Jesus said his disciples should be doing. It's so sad and so very dangerous that these habits, these disciplines are almost completely foreign to many modern churchgoers. There are all kinds of people, thousands of them in Canada hundreds of them in our city that don't really know what it is to serve in their church, to give anything in any biblical way. Uh, They don't know what it is to really pray. And they fasting, that's like, is that a diet? They don't know. They've never experienced it. But Jesus expected all of his disciples to serve, pray, fast, and give. They're not optional activities for a child of God, and if I could be so bold, they're not optional activities for you if you claim to be a child of God. So that's our series. Uh, This is Strong Meat. God's word will correct and direct us. God's word will challenge us and discipline us, but only if we allow it to. And here's the problem as we head into the new year and as we head into uh, another series. The longer you've been around church without doing these things, the more likely you are to be offended when any preacher stands up and tells you you should be doing these things. Because you've gotten so used to being a churchgoer without being a disciple in the biblical sense. And if you harden your heart long enough, it gets very dangerous because then you will convince yourself, I don't have to do those things. No matter what any preacher or teacher or pastor says, but Jesus said you must do these things. He expected you to do these things if you were one of his disciples. And so uh, last time we talked about fasting because we were kicking off the Daniel fast. And so we're a little out of order, but that's okay. It's all the word of God. And so tonight I want to talk about another discipline that Jesus expected that all of us, all of us would be involved in. Now when we preach or teach about this discipline, prayer, we usually just address the church as a whole, collectively. And we preach to the church, we need to pray. And we preach to the church, we're going to pray. And then we gather everybody together and we say, let's pray. And the problem with that is it's easier to pray collectively. It's easier to pray when we're all together because we can let somebody else do the lifting for us. We can let somebody else do the concentrating for us. And we become like a spectator watching prayer unfold. The problem is we're only together for a handful of hours at best every week. And so if praying at church is the only praying you ever do, you're not a person of prayer. You're not doing what Jesus said his disciples would do. He didn't say if you pray, he said when you pray. And if praying here in this building is all the praying you do in the run of a week, you don't have the habit of prayer, you have a part-time hobby of prayer. It's not the same thing at all. And it's our habits that become our disciplines, and it's our disciplines that allow us to graduate from milk to meat. Extremely important. Now tonight we're going to go to one of the most famous passages of Scripture in the whole Bible. It is the master class on prayer, and it was taught by Jesus himself. It's what we now call the Lord's Prayer. Perhaps the most quoted words in the history of, of the world. Jesus gave this to his disciples when they asked him a question. Lord, teach us to pray. 
Notice there, they didn't say teach us how to pray, although he did that. They just said, teach us to pray. I think they had the same struggle we do. God, I'm struggling with the motivation to pray. So Jesus, teach me to pray. And we need that in our lives. We need to ask God, first of all, Jesus, teach me to pray. Before I need to know the mechanics of prayer, I need to have a desire to pray. And so it's okay to say, Jesus, I'm falling down on this area and I want 2020 to be a much different year than 2019. I don't want to fall into the same habits and ruts and pitfalls. And so God, I need you to teach me to pray. If he answered that for his first century disciples, you know he's going to answer it for his 21st century disciples because God doesn't change. And so I'd like you to lift, and we're going to be perhaps a little interactive tonight. I'd like you to lift your hands if you would right now, and I'd like you to pray in your own words something that sincerely says, Jesus, teach me to pray. I need to pray better. I need to pray longer. I need to pray harder. I need to pray more consistently. I need to pray more diligently. So God, teach me to pray. Put something in my spirit that cries out to pray. Jesus, Put something in my spirit that just can't get through a day without praying. Jesus, put something in my spirit that feels empty if I don't pray. Jesus, teach me to pray. If you answered it for them, I know you'll answer it for me. Teach me to pray. Teach me to pray. Teach me to pray, Jesus. Teach me to pray. That was pretty good. Now one more time, back up and really do that. Sincerely from your heart. I need you to just get this tonight. I'm not here to impress you with a cool little Bible study. I'm not here to impress you with a great little graphic for a series. We need Jesus to step into our lives and teach us to pray. Teach me to pray even though I'm distracted. Teach me to pray even though I'm busy. Teach me to pray even though my boss is demanding and my job takes so much of my time. Jesus, teach me to pray. God, I won't be frustrated by that. I will be pleased, Jesus. I give you an invitation. I give you an invitation. Jesus, step into my everyday nine to five life and teach me to pray. Teach me to pray. Oh, I worship you, Jesus. I feel your presence right now. I feel a witness of your spirit right now in this Bible study. Somebody is here that wants this year to be so much better than last year, so much more than last year. And you know that, Jesus. Answer their prayer. Teach me to pray. Teach me to pray. Now, when they asked Jesus that, He did give them some mechanics for prayer. He gave them actually a pattern for prayer. Now, he did not give us, and it's not wrong to repeat the Lord's Prayer. We sometimes do that together. That's okay. But the Lord's Prayer was not just a paragraph to be repeated. It was a pattern to build a relationship. And so we've got to approach the Lord's Prayer like that. And so that's why before Jesus ever gives us the pattern, he sets down some ground rules for prayer. Let me give you four little principles that Jesus gives. These are the ground rules for prayer. Verse 5 of Matthew chapter 6. And when you pray, somebody say when, not if. It's when. When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites are. They love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets. Why? That they may be seen of men. Verily, I say unto you, they have their reward. The only reward they will ever get is who noticed them praying. That's it. The first rule of prayer is really just get real. Be honest, be open. You are not praying to impress anybody else. You're not praying to impress God. Just get real about it. Talk to God 
like you would talk to your best friend. Talk to God like you would talk to your spouse. Talk to God about anything and everything that is on your heart. It doesn't matter whether it's big or whether it's small. Talk to God about what is right in your world. And talk to God about what is wrong in your world. And then look a little broader than your little existence and talk to God about what is right in his world and what is wrong in his world that you'd like to see fixed. Prayer is not a performance. Prayer is a relationship. Prayer is a conversation. So just talk. For heaven's sake, you people talk all the time. Talk, 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 talk. You talk on the phone, and if you can't do that, you talk on Facebook with your fingers. We talk all the time. Talking's not hard. So if it's not hard to talk to somebody that can't help you, why should it be hard to talk to God who certainly can help you? It's just talking. Now, I know, I get it. We're talking to someone who is invisible. So is your Facebook friend. So if it's not hard to talk to them who you've never seen and they live in some little hamlet in Tennessee, but you talk to them on Facebook four times a week, why would it be hard to talk to God who you've never seen? Why? The first rule of prayer is just get real. Don't perform. You don't have to talk King James English. My goodness, please don't. Because you sound odd when you talk in an English form that's over 400 years old. Because you're not that old. Just talk. Talk to God in your normal voice. Talk to God about things that are wrong in your world, certainly. Tell God about your hurts and your hang-ups and your heartache and your pain. But you know, it's wonderful to talk to God about what's right in your world. It's wonderful to talk to God and just say, Jesus, thank you. You ordered my steps today. Jesus, you kept me out of that today. Jesus, you were with me. You are, you, do you know, I've learned that Jesus can do wonderful things with the airlines. There are times when I'm traveling and I know it's going to be a mess and Beverly's home praying, prayer traffic control, and I'm praying probably not anywhere near what she's praying, but Jesus just kind of works through and you walk through crowds of people that are angry and frustrated and their flight didn't connect and just by some chance you get like the last seat on a flight. It's an amazing thing. And I've sat in a seat more times than not and said, Jesus, thank you. You did that for me. Talk to God not about just what's wrong in your world. When you have a happy moment, when you're out for a walk in nature or whatever and you see something and it, it hits you, if it hits you emotionally, it hits God emotionally. You're his kid. And so just talk to him about what's right in your world. Get real. Second rule of prayers in verse 6. Thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet. Some of you couldn't get in, but he's not talking about your literal closet, just a, a place that's alone. When you have shut thy door, pray to thy father which is in secret, and thy father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. So the second rule of prayer, first, get real with God. Second, get alone with God. The greatest enemy of prayer is not the devil. It's all the distracting things that you have in your life. And so Jesus said, when you pray, shut the door. Get alone, get away Shut off all your distractions and your notifications and the beeps and the pings from your devices and, and, and get away from your online accounts and get away from your offline activities and just be still and just be quiet and then pray. Here's the rule. Pray more in private than you pray in public. It's a wonderful thing to pray together in church, but be sure that you're praying more in private than you are in public. I said this in a series we did a little bit more than a year ago, but I love this line. If you want to hear God speak, hide and seek. That's what you need to do. 
Second rule of prayer is get alone. Third rule of prayer is in verse seven. Jesus is given these because he's not gonna give them a little rote prayer to be uh, recited and to be memorized. That's not the Lord's prayer. He's gonna give them a pattern to pray that's gonna help them build a relationship. So he's given them these principles first. Here's the next principle. When you pray, don't use vain repetitions as the heathen do. For they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. In prayer... You don't get extra points for extra words. So, so you don't have to fill every empty second with words. It's a wonderful thing to just sit maybe with your Bible on your lap and just maybe be reading a verse and talking to God and, and just be silent and let God talk to you. God can put a burden on your heart. God can direct you. God can give you an impression. God never, ever, ever in my life has spoken to me audibly. That would scare me to death. You would have my funeral the next afternoon. But God gives me strong impressions. And he does to you too. And you just feel that that's something I need to stay away from or, or that's something I need to do. And the way I usually realize that it's God is it will not go away. It just keeps being very insistent. I've learned to trust that voice. Um, so when you pray, you don't have to fill every second. The third rule of prayer is get specific. Don't just use a bunch of vain, empty words that don't mean anything. Get specific when you pray. You're not being graded on how much you talk your prayer matters because you're asking God specifically for something. So don't just mindlessly repeat the same phrases over and over and over again. Now, I need to clarify and, and I need to ju just be clear here. That doesn't mean you can't repeat something. There are times when we repeat the name of Jesus or we repeat hallelujah or whatever. It's not wrong, but it shouldn't be the only way that you pray. Get specific. Don't just mindlessly speak words. And can I say something to all of us apostolic people that I think is very important? Because when you've received the baptism of the Holy Ghost and you uh, have that experience, you can speak in tongues. Speaking in tongues is a wonderful, liberating, clearing, freeing experience. And you're praying important prayers when you pray in tongues. And I'm not taken away from that. But I also know because I'm a tongue talker, that you can speak in tongues and your mind can wander while you're speaking in tongues. And so don't just mindlessly speak in tongues either. If I could say this to us tongue talkers, sometimes it would do us good to stop talking in tongues and actually ask Jesus for something in English. Now, I maybe offended somebody there or crossed your theology. I believe in praying in the Spirit. I believe in praying in tongues, but there are times that God's up in heaven saying, ask me something. I've got all power, ask me something. I can do anything, ask me something. So don't just mindlessly go through something. Uh, how would you know if God answered the prayer you prayed this week? Well, God bless them. You'll never know if that happened or not because they could be blessed with sickness that would draw them closer to God. And you would think that that was not God. So don't just pray generic prayers. If you want somebody to be healed, pray God heal them. If you want somebody to come out of a financial problem, pray that. Don't just pray generic prayers. Get specific. One more principle, and then we'll dive into Jesus' pattern. Verse 8. Be not therefore like unto them, for your Father, he knows what things you have need of before you even ask him. One last little principle of prayer here. Uh, get bold. So get real. You, you need to make sure you do that. Uh, don't, don't, don't try to fake God out. Get real. Get alone. Get specific. And finally, get bold. You don't learn to pray by trying to learn more about prayer. You don't learn to pray by listening to pastor's Bible study about prayer. You learn to pray like you learn to ride a bike. You get on the bike and you start pedaling and you wobble and you fall down and you skin your knee and you get back on and you just keep doing it. And prayer is the same. You learn to pray by praying. When you get bold enough to start talking to God and actually asking him for stuff,
and talking to him, you will find out something that he knew what you had need of before you ever asked. In other words, he's been waiting for you to talk to him a lot longer than you've been thinking about talking to him. He's there. So you need to get bold enough to just go to him and talk to him. The Bible says right here, he already knows what we need, but he's waiting to realize, he's waiting for us to realize that we have a greater need than our needs and that greatest need is our need of him. And prayer satisfies our need of him, which is our greatest need. Now, don't be afraid that you will ask for the wrong thing. That's why some people don't pray. They're such perfectionists that they would never want to be wrong by praying for the wrong thing. So can we just take a load of pressure off? Just go ahead and pray for what you want because you're going to pray for the wrong thing sometimes. Let me give you a good example. Father Abraham prayed for the wrong thing. He prayed, God, I would that you would bless Ishmael indeed. He prayed for the wrong kid. Isaac's the son of promise. And so God allowed Ishmael to have some blessing, but the Bible specifically says, I read it uh, yesterday, the Bible specifically says that he blessed uh, not Ishmael, but Isaac. So Abraham prayed for the wrong son to be blessed, and God just said, you're sincere, but we're going to put the blessing and the promise and the heritage and the inheritance on the right son. And so you'll pray wrong things. If Abraham prayed wrong things, you will pray wrong things. But God can sort that all out. We can pray confidently. We can pray boldly because here's what we know. God is a good father and he's not going to give you something that would hurt you or destroy you. So you can pray for whatever you want. And if it's wrong, God will just do what you did to your kids. He'll just nod and smile lovingly and not give you what you asked for. You did that to your kids. God's at least as good a parent as you are. And so God told us, ask. Just talk to me. Ask for whatever you want. Because the very act of praying, the very act of asking God, that does something in us. Prayer reveals God to us. Prayer reveals your heart to you. Prayer prepares us to receive God's answer. And sometimes... Brothers and sisters, prayer prepares us to go through something where we're not going to get the answer we want. But we can settle it once and for all. There is no such thing as an unheard prayer or an unanswered prayer for the child of God. God's either going to give you what you asked for or he's going to give you what you would have asked for if you knew everything he knows i got to back that truck up. That's important. God will either give you what you asked for or he will give you what you would have asked for if you knew everything he knows. So what we do when we pray is, God, here's what I want, but I believe you know best. Here's what I want, but I want your will more than I want my will. Here's what I want. But God, if this doesn't please you, if this is going to take me away from you, I don't want it. So God, this is what I'm asking for, but I give you veto power. Now, we talked about this on Sunday. I won't spend long here, but if you're hitting a wall in prayer, if you're just, you feel like you're not getting anywhere, this is why we're doing what we're doing. If you're hitting a wall, try fasting and prayer. Jesus talks about fasting in this chapter, just after he talks about prayer. Fasting intensifies prayer. It's like an exclamation point that you place with your body in this sentence. God, I'm more hungry for you than I am for food right now. I'm more hungry for you than anything else right now. And so God, I need you to hear me and help me. Fasting restrains your flesh and it releases God's spirit in your life. That is why we have bound ourselves together as a church body to fast at the beginning of the year. Now Jesus has now just taught us 
how to have a right attitude when we pray. He said, you need to get real. You need to get alone. This isn't a performance. You need to get specific and you need to get bold because God already knows what you need. So just get bold and get in there and ask him. And now he's going to teach us about the right approach to take in prayer. First, we've learned how not to pray. Now he's going to teach us how to pray. And this is what we call the Lord's Prayer. It is not something to just be repeated. It is a pattern of things we need to pray for. Important topics that we should cover as we pray. This is a starting point. This is not an end in itself. This is something that is not to limit you. It's to release you. And so you don't have to pray these exact words. You don't even have to pray in this exact order. But Jesus did give us this pattern. Let's just read it. After this manner, therefore pray ye. Here it is. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. The Lord's Prayer. Many of us can quote that. If we can't quote it fully, we can quote major sections of it. It's very familiar. But it is a prayer pattern. And so I'd like to take Jesus' words to us, which were intended to be a pattern, and I'd like to just show you what I see in there, uh, not because my insight is anything major or spectacular, but just because this is what I see Jesus asking me to do when I pray. First of all, we begin with our Father who art in heaven, hallowed, set apart, holy, reverenced, worshiped, be thy name. The first thing you always need to do when you pray is begin with worshiping God. Start with worship. Somebody say, start with worship. If you're gonna pray, you need to start with worship. The Bible says that in so many different ways. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. When you go to prayer, you don't just launch into your Christmas wish list. When you go to prayer, you begin by worshiping God. Why? Because prayer is building your relationship with your creator, with your savior, with your Lord and your master. And so you don't just come rushing into his presence. That's not boldness. That's rudeness. So you come into his presence by lifting up his name, by setting it apart, by giving him glory, by telling him, I thank you, God, that you're my father and you're my savior and you're walking with me and you're listening to me right now. That's how you start your prayer. And then he says, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And I would suggest this. Pray kingdom prayers first. Pray them early in your prayer time. We often get sidetracked by our own little wish list. God, heal so-and-so and bless so-and-so and help me with this and don't let me do that and help me with this. And, and we get into that minor stuff. Do you know there are some major things going on in the kingdom of God? We need to be praying for our local church. We need to be praying for our missionaries. We need to be praying for pastors and preachers and evangelists and teachers and apostles that are taking this message. We need to be praying for nations. We need to be praying for God to use what's going on politically and what's going on in the world to turn the hearts of people to him. We need to be praying that. And so those are kingdom prayers. Learn to put kingdom prayers first because you'll find out quickly that God will anoint that kind of praying in a powerful way. Right now, the wonderful, beautiful nation of Australia is on fire. Bushfires have burned so many hundreds and hundreds of acres and over a billion animals have died in the flames and people have died and cities, the, the air quality is the worst in the world right now in Canberra, the capital, and it's just unbelievable. But I read an article this week that said, 
And I saw a little clip somewhere online. Some lady and a man, they were standing there. They were interviewing them in front of their burned out house. And they said, we sure prayed this week. They're not Christians. They're not people of prayer. But do you know you can pray that God would use even a tragedy, even a travesty to turn the hearts of people to God. Now that's a kingdom prayer. You all know, and we'll pray about it at the end of this service, you all know what's going on with Iran this week. And the world is all nervous and the world is anxious and the world is upset and they're wondering what's going on. But do you understand that we can pray kingdom prayers in a time when men's hearts are failing them for fear? There can be something that just says inside of them, I can't look inside anymore. I can't look to the politicians anymore. That's when God gets in there and says look up look to me look to my word look to my church look to my message and we can pray those kind of kingdom prayers I'm not saying don't pray for your requests of course pray for your requests but learn to pray some kingdom prayers first and then he says give us this day our daily bread there's your needs right there and then forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors One other uh, gospel writer says it this way, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who have trespassed against us. And so I would suggest in this part of your prayer, bring God your desires, that's your daily bread. Bring God your failures, that's your debts or your trespasses. And bring God all of your relationships, good ones, bad ones, hurtful ones, ones that you enjoy, friends, uh, people that, that in your family, uh, people that you work with. Bring God your desires, your failures, your relationships. That's that center part of your prayer. Here's how that just worked. You entered into his presence with worship. Then you prayed over his world, and now you're praying over your world. That's the way to do it in Jesus' pattern. And then he says this, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now we're getting to a point of intercession. God, I need your help as I face this. I need your help in this situation. God, I'm praying a hedge of protection. God, I'm praying against the enemy. God, I'm praying a blessing. God, I'm praying that you would deliver me and you would deliver us from evil. Now you're into the realm of intercession, which is standing in the gap. And pray those intercessory prayers as the Spirit leads. Just a 411 on prayer. Anytime you feel prompted by the Holy Ghost to leave this pattern or leave any other pattern or leave any kind of praying through the tabernacle or putting on the armor of God or any of the patterns of the word of God that talk about prayer, you just follow the spirit. These are not to keep you in bondage to a routine. This is just a starting place. And if the spirit just prompts you to pray for somebody, you just lose yourself in that for a moment. If you get praying for missionaries and a missionary comes to your mind, how many times have we heard a report from a missionary where they say, at this exact moment, we were going through this crisis and somebody at home wrote us an email three days later and said, I felt three days ago at this time to pray for you. God can use you like that. I don't care how old you are or how young you are or how new you are in the church. God can use you to pray intercessory prayers just like that and finally for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever amen how do you end your prayer you end your prayer the very same way you began your prayer you don't just rush out of the presence of royalty you don't just abruptly leave your conversation with God but you end it with praise and worship now the wonderful thing about having a pattern like that is you can pray through that pattern in five minutes or five hours. You can pray through that prayer in 30 minutes or 60 minutes. It's just a pattern, but it gives you an idea of how to approach God on a daily basis. And now I'd like to end with this tonight. I'd like to give you three principles, one of which Jesus says in this chapter. But three principles that are just uh, helpful principles about prayer. And the first is what I would call the principle of a mention. Everyone say a mention. A mention in prayer. Because we sometimes think, this is a struggle for me. 
I, I think that unless I've prayed this lengthy, profound, uh, effective prayer about something or someone, that I haven't really done a good job in prayer. Um, but that's not what the Bible indicates. The Bible teaches us that even a mention in prayer, even if you don't pray a long time about something or someone, but even a mention in prayer, it accumulates power over time. You remember, uh, was it Cornelius? God spoke to him and, and sent an angel said, Cornelius, your prayers... He prayed every day. Your prayers have come up for a memorial before God. Everyday prayer, it just accumulates. So rather than one long, effective, profound, passionate prayer once a year, it would be better to mention something in prayer every day of the year and let it accumulate. Now, in the New Testament... The Bible talks about this mentioning something in prayer. Not praying a profound prayer, not praying a long prayer, because that's where we get on the little guilt trip personally. Well, I don't know if I'm really doing this right. The Bible teaches us that if you just mention something to God in prayer, it's a valid prayer. And the word that the New Testament uses, our English word mention, it means to remind, recall, remember, recollect, or this is the one, to recite it's not anything profound. It's just one more time, God. I'm just bringing this to your attention. I'm just reminding you. I'm just reciting it one more time. Uh, look, look at this. And I, I want to just weigh in here for just a second. So let me throw uh, a few verses at you. Romans chapter 1 verse 9. For God is my witness. These are all Paul writing. God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son, without ceasing... I make mention of you. Somebody say mention. I, I don't pray an hour for you every day. You know, has anybody ever said, well, I'll pray for you, and you thought, I bet. You're going to forget. But do you know, if they just remember to mention your name in prayer, God takes note of that. For God is my witness. I serve in the Spirit and the gospel of the Son without ceasing. I make mention of you always in my prayers. I don't pray for you an hour a day, but every time I pray, I mention you. There is something so powerful about that. There are people that say to us as pastors, Pastor, I pray for you every day. Not one time have I thought, well, I wonder how many hours have they spent this week praying for me. I know what they mean. They brought my name before the throne of God. And that is effective. That accumulates. And so if you've got a backslidden kid, don't fail to mention their name before God every day. That's better than going to prayer once a year on New Year's Eve and praying hard for them for an hour. It would be better to just mention their name every time you're talking to Jesus. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 16, I cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. 1 Thessalonians 1 and 2, we give thanks to God always for you all, this is everybody, making mention of you in our prayers. All of you people that help me, all of you people that work with me, Paul said, all of you people in the church there, I, I mention you in our prayers. And finally to Philemon. He says, I thank my God, making mention of thee always in my prayers. In three of those verses, it, it, it uses this word again, always. I, I'm always doing this. I do it without ceasing. I'm always praying for you because I make mention of you. The principle of just a mention in prayer. You may not feel like you're some profound prayer warrior. But anybody in this room can make mention of somebody and take their name before God's throne in prayer. And then there's this principle. Now, Jesus puts this immediately after his prayer pattern. It's the principle of forgiveness in prayer. He says, if you forgive men their trespasses, this is right after what we call the Lord's Prayer. If you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Now prayer is about keeping your heart right before God and with others. And so if prayer, if your prayer 
doesn't impact the people that you can see, it's not going to impact the God that you can't see. If you come out of prayer meeting and you're still carnal and still nasty and still fighting, there's something wrong with your prayer. You didn't really pray. You might have gone through a religious ritual. You got permission in the Bible to be mad at the devil, and after that, eh, that's it. And so if you're angry with somebody, frustrated with somebody, if you've got tension and problems, you need to clear your heart of that when you pray. Because Jesus said that the reason a lot of people aren't effective in prayer is because they've got too much lodged in their heart. And, and if you've got all that lodged in your heart against other people, then God's not going to hear that prayer. He's not going to forgive your trespasses if you won't forgive somebody else. How many know that if God doesn't forgive us, we're all in trouble eternally. So we have to do this. It's the principle of forgiveness in prayer. And finally, I'll close with this one. The principle of intercession in prayer. Now, I already mentioned this, but I want to just touch on it one more time. An odd little scripture here. Genesis chapter 28, verse 11. Uh, the, the word intercession, whether it's Old Testament or New Testament, whether it's the Hebrew language of the Old Testament or the Greek language of the New, it carries this odd little meaning behind it. Intercession literally means, the word is pagah in Hebrew. It literally means to come between by chance. That's what the word intercession means in, in the language of the Bible. It's a chance word. And it's used here in this scripture, but if I hadn't told you that, you would never dream that the word intercession was in this verse. It's just a part of a story to us as we read. But it's right there. In fact, it's the third uh, word in the verse in the English language. The word lighted. He lighted upon a certain place. We would say in a modern translation of the scripture, he happened to come upon. Just by chance, he stopped here. He lighted upon a certain place. He tarried there all night. Um, because the sun was set. It's nighttime, the sun set, it's a good time to make camp. And so he just happened to be at a certain place. And he stayed there all night just because the sun set when he arrived there. And he took the stones of that place and just by chance, he piled them all together and used them for a pillow. We don't have to do that on the Daniel fast, thank goodness. And he laid down in that place to sleep. It all happened by chance. He just lighted upon this place. That word lighted in English is pagai. It's the Hebrew word for intercession. That he came upon it. He came between it by chance. And that is the meaning of intercession, which is really strange. But, but see, what happened here, uh, he thought he had come by chance. But Jacob had not arrived there by chance. God put him there at that exact moment in that exact place. And he slept. And as he slept, you, you Bible readers, you know the story. Uh, the heavens opened and he saw angels descending and ascending on these, this ladder from heaven. It was a place where the glory of God literally visited earth from heaven. Jacob happened to be sleeping in a place where there was an open door between heaven and earth. That's intercession. And he woke up the next day. And what he thought was just a random stopping place, what he thought was just by chance I'm going to make camp here, that actually became the very cornerstone of his life. It was where he built an altar. It was where God visited him. It was the open place between heaven and earth. Circumstances and impressions you get in your heart, they seem random. Things catch your attention. Things take your breath away. Things bring a tear to your eye. You actually say out loud, oh God, that's so terrible. You might be reading or watching the news. You might be talking with a friend. You might be driving along the street and seeing an accident. And when you least expect it, something happens and it catches your attention. That is not accidental for a child of God. You are God's agent 
put on location and pastor can't be everywhere and the church family can't be everywhere but if you're there God can be talked to about the situation that is unfolded and you could be watching the news and you see something and you say oh Jesus you got to help those people and that is a prayer brothers and sisters and God puts us on location to make intercession for certain people If we can realize we're being prompted by the Spirit, we will learn to respond to those random feelings, those random promptings, those random tears. We'll learn to respond to that with authoritative, bold praying, realizing that Jesus just asked us, stand in the gap for this country, for this situation, for this people, for that person, for this circumstance at that very moment. And that's when we need to let God lead us in prayer. You might think you just happened upon it by accident. You didn't. You're a child of God. Nothing in your life is by accident. God leads us. And it could be a conversation with a person at work or it could be a news report about some tragedy in a country across the ocean. But when it catches your attention, if you'll pray about it, that catches God's attention. I hope something here has been helpful to you tonight. I'd like you to lift up your hands right now and I'd like you to begin to approach God in worship because we're going to take a moment before we close tonight and we're just going to pray together about something. For those of you that have been watching by web, we thank you for joining us. We're going to cut the webcast in just a moment uh, as we worship and thank you for joining us tonight. We're so grateful. Church, I'd like you to just lift up praise to God. What we're doing is saying our Father who art in heaven hallowed be thy name hallowed be thy name Jesus we lift you up and we worship you we give you honor and praise and and thanks we worship you and we honor you Jesus God, we're so grateful for the sense and the touch of your spirit that's here when we worship collectively, when we pray corporately. But God, what we're so in need of in this year is to take this sensitivity home with us to our everyday lives, to our morning routine, to our nine to five life. God, we need this. We want you to teach us to pray. Teach us to pray. You expected us to do it. You expected us to do it. Araboko and yes, siaba pakoya maha.